0: The following is a conversation with George Connolly. George Connolly is the president of One Ledger. One Ledger is a blockchain as a service options supplier founded by Fortune 500 executives and Forbes executive members, positioning itself as a shortcut for blockchain development and aims for easy and broad blockchain adoption. George Connolly is one of Forbes 100 executives members with over 20 years of senior management and executive experience. Most Caribbean countries suffer from insufficient access to international capital and financial markets, a lack of proper KYC enforcement and insufficient regulatory environments to attract international investors. Blockchain technology might be an answer to a lot of these problems and I believe every government and every company should think about how they can develop a strategy that takes advantage of these opportunities. This is the Simon Kuiper Podcast and this is my conversation with George Connolly.
1: I've had over 20 years senior management in private sector, system integration operations. Mm -hmm. And um, that is where I truly got the bug for understanding technology, I would say as a social science. Okay. So we spend a lot of time trying to understand how the technology works. My um, desire was to understand the solutions it could solve. Okay, so that started me on a journey. And um, with that journey, I then went to PwC, Mm -hmm. and with PwC, I was um, again doing advisory for tech. So basically, again, looking at how we can use tech to solve um, issues that clients had. Mm -hmm. and um, over the course of eight years, probably before that, I was doing some, i can't call it consulting, I was doing some lecturing and giving my time and advice to the Commonwealth Business Council Forum. All right, okay. And they were looking at how countries in the Commonwealth should and could implement national strategic ICT strategies um, to do the same digital transformation that you spoke about earlier. And um, how do you set up the infrastructure? How do you get the legislation in place to support it? How do you upskill the workforce? How do you deploy services? Um, With a simple goal of doing three things um making um, the government in the country easier to work with making services available ubiquitously the way that the citizen would like to use it Mm -hmm. and then having a government that is responsive um, so that they listen to what people are saying they expand the network of stakeholders and then build platforms that would have more adoption because of that. Mm-hmm. So, those are the areas that I have been sort of focused on for the last 20 years of my life. And um, in 2017, I believe, um, I got interested in blockchain, mm-hmm. not cryptocurrency, but blockchain. Mm-hmm. I think it's and, important um, to make the distinction here, yeah. right <laughs> All right. Um, because ev- a lot of people believe that blockchain is cryptocurrency. Right. It's not. That's like saying a spreadsheet is Excel.
2: <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> you know, or an egg is an omelet, which it mm-hmm. is, but <laughs> subsets. So at, at the end of the day, blockchain is a technology that makes cryptocurrency transactions possible, but it is just a platform on which cryptocurrency transactions run. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's not in itself cryptocurrency. And because of the unique characteristics of blockchain, so transactions that are decentralized, so not sitting on a central exchange, um, transactions that are, are immutable, so once a transaction is um, written to a hash, mm-hmm. it can't be changed. Okay. Transactions that are timestamped and date stamped. So like how you would track any other uh, assurance type platform. It has that same thing. But one of the critical things about blockchain is that because it's consensus-based, however the platform operates all the parties who are involved in the transaction become aware of the transaction as it happens. Right. Right. And that kind of consensus in a transaction makes it a very powerful tool and also makes it extremely difficult to change it unless all the parties agree. So, um, my initial interest in blockchain was purely from a fiscal viewpoint. Mm -hmm. How can you use it to shore up financial transactions? And actually we started to look at things like um, letters of credit. How do you automate an LC? And I think you understand how an LC works for anyone who's watching, who doesn't understand how a letter credit works, a letter credit, is basically a transaction between two parties, usually a buyer and a seller, who don't know each other and don't trust each other. Because they don't know each other and don't trust each other, they don't want that to destroy the relationship. So they use a bank as an intermediary to to manage their commercial relationship. In managing that commercial relationship, each one puts up, the buyer puts up their cash so that the seller is, knows that he's serious. And then the seller is bound by the terms of the agreement before he is able to access that cash. And the bank controls the instructions based on the agreement between the two parties. So that's a trust-based transaction smart contracts driven by blockchain create what we call trustless transactions. So you don't need to trust the individual, but you have systems in place that verify to all parties in the same consensus mode that I spoke of earlier, where those parties are then able to say, okay, Joe delivered the product, they agreed quantities, they agreed quality, the agreed time under all the conditions that uh, we had put in place. So we will release part A of the payment or part B or the entire payment, etc. Mm-hmm. based on this. Right. And the fees associated with the LC go away. The speed at which the transaction is done um, increases dramatically. And the buyer and the seller develop trust through consensus and a system that, is, that doesn't allow them to fool around with yeah. the transaction. So if you don't deliver, you don't get paid. If the standard isn't um, set, you don't get paid. And it's all algorithm based, so um, simple. So that was my first foray into blockchain, looking at a possible solution to automate mm. letters of credit.
0: So a real-world application for that technology.
1: Exactly. Yeah, And then um, I worked with a business process outsource firm out of Australia called Influx after I left mm-hmm. PwC. And then an opportunity came along through my um, headhunter to work with the firm of now, One ledger who is a um, a business as a service, blockchain solutions provider who both have an active cryptocurrency and is using blockchain platforms to build enterprise solutions like the same letter of credit <laughs> and other applications that uh, we think have real-world practical value.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, So, One of the things that came up early last year, obviously, was the coronavirus pandemic. And we sort of imagined what could be possibly used to mesh technology and healthcare in order to reduce the risk associated with um, contagion. And allowing people to basically know their status because that's the biggest challenge um if you don't know your status and you circulate you spread etc so how do you know your status so that's when we came up with the idea of uh health evidence digital passport Mm. and um we've created that we've gone through iterations of that now and now we have uh um an application that's world-class, we believe. And we're actively selling that application. Or rather, we're actually shopping that application to several entities across the world. And there's huge debate about it, et cetera. <laughs> but um, we think that knowing your status
2: mm-hmm.
1: and being able to share that information safely and in a manner that protects all the stakeholders involved, um, we think is the best way to keep society safe and still avoid the, um, I call it the mental health issues Mm -hmm. associated with isolation and Zoom meetings that we're going through now. Right. So,
0: what i'm particularly interested in what i'm particularly interested in is like you i have a sense that you particularly look okay how can you actually implement that technology besides uh, maybe academic uh, interest in it um how would you explain or what is the how can how do we explain to someone that is not tech savvy what is the big Difference or the big change um, with a blockchain, because I think that's something people often struggle with. I like to explain it in the way that I say everything on the internet or everything digital is always a copy. When I send you an email, I don't really send you an email, I send you a copy of the file that I wrote on my computer. We think right. back. Um, beginning of the 2000s when the file sharing started with mp3 files and the music industry basically <laughs> collapsed because everybody now could copy easily the the music um, sure. files nobody was thinking it was stealing because the other person still has it the artist or whatever so that was a concept that a lot of people don't really couldn't wrap their head around it when the music industry said were well, you stealing from us then they say no i don't see like you still no, have it <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so um i think from my understanding and i'm not uh, not that tech savvy that's basically the best explanation now i i can understand it uh, for myself that i say everything is a copy and when we have a blockchain everything every transaction is basically protocoled in that blockchain every transaction every change um, on that file that is publicly as you said um in a in a network and everybody can check it um all the time and i think that's um, why you said it's um, or one potential use case could be a digital health passport or vaccine passport or something um, like that. And where do you, besides from the digital health um, passport, for example, where else do you see, um, yeah, use cases, especially maybe in the Caribbean where you see there are bottlenecks, there are problems um, in that area and where specifically blockchain technology can be a solution to to solve these problems.
1: Okay. I mean, if you want to circle back to the comment you made about, um, the music industry, mm-hmm. I mean, that is a huge one. Um, for instance, if blockchain technology were available, then the digital transformation started in the music industry, where we moved to MP3s and MP4s, etc. Yeah. Right. Um, Singer songwriters, producers, etc., would have been able to create a digital asset for every item that they put on the internet.
0: Yeah. NFT—that it's the technology exactly. that we have today.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of people don't understand what an NFT is. <laughs> All right. So I mean, non-fungible token. I mean, what's that? But basically, <laughs> but basically, what it is. It is now we have the ability to actually serialize digital assets in a manner that I can say, I'm going to make a million copies of my song. I'm going to serialize the copies. And then only if you have the key that unlocks the code on the other end, are you able to see the copy. Um, So, That essentially is how you would protect and redefine the music industry in this digital age, Um, actually being able to serialize it. Uh, so, And then lock each one so that only the owner, and when we say only the owner, we mean only the owner (laughs) will be able to access the data. And then there'd also be a ledger that shows who actually made the purchase. And obviously, one owner can sell to another, to someone else. So if I decide after X amount of time that I want to sell the copy that I bought, we now have the flexibility where I can sell my used digital asset to someone else. And I Mm -hmm. can determine what that price would be. But then I no longer have access to it. So I can't share it the way that we share now into a huge dump. The, um, that's one use case that jumps out immediately. Right. Um, I mean, there are several others. One of the things that we looked at, education is an area where for obvious reasons, individuals perpetrate fraud to beef up their credentials. Because as you know, um, graduate certificates, et cetera, it's only a passport to get you in the door. If you right. don't have the credentials, you can't get in the door. Once you get in the door, you have to prove yourself. But in order to get that initial interview, you need to be able to get through the door. Right. So right. educational fraud is something that we've seen um, a lot of throughout the world. And that's why there are what's called accreditation centers set up by governments across the world that work in tandem with one simple task of um, certifying a, um, cert- certificates um, and, and uh, diplomas of individuals who are trying to get work in their countries. Now, a simple way to do that is also with an NFT, with mm-hmm. a digital asset. Every single graduate certificate issued is issued with a corresponding serialized um, certificate. And then when someone sends you a certificate with that serialization, you simply access a browser Mm -hmm. that gives access only to the, the institution or the series of institutions who use that. And it's verified immediately. And it could be a very simple registration process to get the verification scan the qr code that they send you Mm -hmm. and all the information is embedded in the system and again it's immutable etc so this is another real world application uh, for easy use Mm -hmm. to authenticate credentials and they could be corporate credentials or they could be academic credentials okay Mm -hmm. so that's that's (laughs) one I mean, one of the other things that you spoke to is when you talked about um, the bottlenecks in the Caribbean when it comes to digital transformation. Now, the Caribbean is a bit of a strange place, as you know. Like most developing markets, you have an uptake on mobile telephony users that exceeds the local. Genpop. Yeah. So in the Caribbean, the, um, <laughs> the number of mobile phone users exceeds the number of people on the island. That standard. Yeah. So several individuals have two mobile phones, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But mobile phones are now a prolific and pervasive use of technology. However, Because solutions aren't being built on mobile phones that are Mm -hmm, mm country-specific and are integrated into the fabric of the society, you find that it's used primarily for social engagement. So WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, blah, 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 blah.
0: So not so much the business application, is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. are
1: very business applications are few and far apart. What we are seeing in the Caribbean is that there is a level of digital maturity that's happening Mm -hmm. with some of the large commercial entities. And that has accelerated obviously since March of 2020, where you had no choice. (laughs) Um, from the lockdown, so commercial banks have upgraded their phone apps. Mm-hmm. So they're actually and Finally, they actually function.
2: Finally, some of them.
1: Exactly, uh, some All right, and they make transactions easier across their platforms. So we've seen that happening. We've also seen, like everywhere else, food um, ordering, delivery. So some of the brick traditional brick stores have now put their services online, where you can either have it picked up, have it delivered for a fee through um, a delivery service, etc. So we've seen that happen as well, and um, and that is a growing business, but I am not sure if it's here to stay mm, mm-hmm. because culturally. Um, there is still a large percentage of the population who like to go out and feel and touch right. everything that they're acquiring as long as it's not from Amazon. <laughs> That's a big market. Yeah. As well. yeah. um, so there is a level of digital of digital maturity, but it is in its infancy in terms of using it um, in a manner that can significantly benefit the society. And um, PwC actually did a survey and um, they looked at the ambitions of Mm -hmm. Caribbean Mm -hmm. firms in terms of digitization. And then they looked at where the rubber actually hits the road and the actual implementation—it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> here. The delta is, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. So there's a huge factor. I mean, and and one of the critical things is upskilling staff. Okay. The other thing is stakeholder engagement. You put systems mm-hmm. up there right. that you haven't had wide um, consultation on, and you get no uptake. Or you put systems out there that may be too complex for the markets that you're going after. Mm -hmm. Or you put systems out there and there's no legislation in place to support its use. So we've had those situations. So there has to be three concurrent movements in order to get this right first. Mm -hmm. First thing is that you need stakeholder engagement where people understand what it is that you're trying to achieve. And then the steps that you're gonna take to achieve those steps. And I don't know, this takes you back to the ICT strategy days. Uh, And and that needs to happen before you launch systems. And I'm not seeing that. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the applications need to be fit for purpose. So that means that it's not as easy to find customizable apps off the shelf that you can then develop for your own uses. Sometimes you can find it, sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. But there has to be a degree of academic involvement and um, and professional involvement in the development of the applications, or or rather the modularization of the applications that they are fit for purpose based on the rules, regulations, and laws, and legislations Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. guide the territory. And then there is the uptake from both the users and those who we call the workers. Um, So we have a lack of skilled workers in that space. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We have a, a lack of talent in the area to build up the digital platforms. And I find that there isn't enough engagement in order to get the uptake that you need and build applications that your citizens will actually use. So I think those are some of the most significant challenges. But Why there do is you a think lot of interest. That?
0: Why do you think is that, that uh, there is not the, the push or the support in that direction in terms of education
1: well there is some there is a considerable amount of movement in the education space now mm-hmm. but we are teaching 13 14 year olds how to do this the problem with that obviously is that they aren't skilled enough to develop applications today yeah, that's true. so We should have started when we initially um, attempted to get into this, which was um, 2000, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. The project was derailed at the time. And since it was derailed, um, we are now getting back on track in the Caribbean. I think Jamaica and Trinidad have made some progress, but they're still not pushing applications out fast enough. Um, that can impact the entire Caribbean or aggressive enough that they can impact the entire Caribbean. And then Caribbean, as you know, is made up of four languages. Okay. French, Spanish, English, Dutch. And then there's a subset of that called Papiamento, which is a mixture of Dutch and English. So, I think that one of the things that we haven't done effectively as well is to make sure that we translate all of the apps so that they fit across all the territories mm-hmm. who, would, yeah. who would potentially use it. Mm-hmm. So that's another area that I would put some attention. Okay.
0: Before we talk um, a little bit about your company and how, um, how you approach or... Um, yeah, the, the field your company is is active in um i want to talk for a second about the the fiscal field or do you see the chance that blockchain um can be a possible solution for the caribbean as a fiscal area meaning that the flow of money of payments um yeah, it's, it's more open, it's easier that everybody um, has access. Maybe as you said, through their mobile phone, through a bank account, to the um, international markets. Um, that um, yeah, people are able to buy securities on stock exchanges, or uh, yeah, are able to participate, for example, to buy a uh, Apple stock, uh, even if they live in Jamaica or Barbados or wherever. Um, do you see? practical chance and use case for blockchain or do you say that's too complicated too much regulations uh, whatever i mean when we look at um, europe with the euro i think that took 30 or 40 years to get a standardized um uh, currency so what is your take on that am i'm too optimistic um too pessimistic when what do you yeah what are your chances on or how do you see the chances of blockchain technology um, can help in that
1: area? Now, this is, a, this is a topic that you have to take in slices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> okay.
0: Probably don't have the time for it right now, but maybe we can touch it really firmly.
1: It's okay, but I mean, there's a topic that you need to take in slices and it is something that we struggle with. Um, so a few things. In terms of using blockchain for currency, so let's speak about fiat currency first. So let's deal with that section. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a block of seven countries called the OECS, Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, and they're called the Eastern Caribbean States. These countries have done what the Caribbean tried to do in the early 1970s. Uh, CARICOM, which was a a block of 15 countries at the time, they still exist, attempted to create a single economic space called the Caribbean Federation. The Federation created a single currency, 1974, 75, around there somewhere. the group fell apart like a year after and everyone reverted to their own currency. The only um, collaboration that came out of that is the small, seven small territories called the Mm OECS then had the Eastern Caribbean dollar and a single central bank that did the regulation for them. Now, the simple reason for that is that these seven territories, their GDP collectively was about seven billion US dollars. Population in each territory, 100K or less. Mm-hmm. So relatively small and obviously thought it was better to have the collective um, infrastructure rather than have each having to build out their own infrastructure, which make good sense. Um, and it's obviously a lesson that was being taught from the federation. Since then, most territories have their own currency, and the and they hold very firm to that. So you imagine you've got a lot of small countries, fifteen million people, if you exclude. Um, Haiti and Dom Rep and Cuba from the grouping. It's only 15 million. Mm-hmm. When you add them, those two territories, it goes up to 35 million in total. So you can understand the scale that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And from a global perspective, those are all small countries. Right, right. All right. Dom Rep is small with 10 million. Haiti is small with 10 million. Cuba is small with 10 million. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but they make up collectively, I mean, 75% of the population of the Caribbean, as we call it. Right, right. So countries are very small. Right now, because of regulatory issues and OECD pressure, where they sort of look at each territory, um, there is a lot of uncertainty about currently using anyone else's currency for any reason. And um, we've looked, there, there's been a lot of calm discussion about digital currencies and the use of digital currency throughout the region. But remember, you have territories with very small GDPs. And now you're saying that you're gonna float a digital currency, which um, is it, ethos, is built is built on exclusion of the standard banking system and having the individuals keep the power in their hands. So you're talking tax evasion. All right. Um, in its simplest form. And then you're also talking, um, a Avenue for the unbanked and the underbanked to be able to avoid the system completely. Mm -hmm. So, KYC in terms of fiscal transactions goes out the window. And then there's also that the sovereign isn't in charge of the trade that's happening. So the GNP is completely lost. The numbers on the GDP, you will never know what the size of your formal economy is because if it takes up speed and does everything that it is meant to do, then it will become a lot more efficient than the formal economy and you will have your informal economy growing faster than your formal economy. Those are the challenges that um, legislators see with having a digital currency unless they control it. So that's one of the areas that is being looked at. How do we make our banking system more efficient by our fiscal system more efficient
2: Mm
1: -hmm. by having a digital currency controlled by the sovereign so that we can actually have some control over the money that's flowing through our markets. Um, This is the discussion that keeps them up at night. The thing is, is that almost the large majority of the banks are foreign-owned banks. The indigenous banking industry in the region is shrinking every day. It's very small, yeah. Correct. And these indigenous banks um, have to work through what is called, as you know, correspondent banks to do international transactions. And if they adopt a digital currency, then they will be not compliant with regulations that allow them to do transactions with correspondent banks. So the international banking system is squeezed by the balls if they go through um, this type of platform. So again, it has to be driven by the sovereign in order to tap into the international banking sector, unless you bypass that too, which is also possible. So if I wanna send you money now, I may have to go through Chase, my bank, Chase or HSBC or whoever, then to your bank in order to get you the funds. Meanwhile, if we had the digital accounts, i send the funds directly to you exactly. we are the only two who are already trying no
0: middlemen no third party needed
1: yeah. exactly so that in itself is an entire discussion as to if sovereign countries will allow their citizens to be able to use digital currencies in a manner that makes them irrelevant
2: right
0: yeah, governments have to give up power or would give up power if they would allow that um, yeah, currency to be uh, at least a alternative uh, payment solution in, in the country or in their economic. zone. So, yeah, absolutely. I
1: actually think they would get more power.
0: They would get more? Okay, how so?
1: I think they would get more power, but the banks would get less power.
0: You so, mean the government would get more, the banks less, is that correct. right? Okay.
1: Correct. So but the government needs to support the digital currency.
0: In terms of platform, the regulations and correct. all right. The
1: platform needs to be a regulated platform. Okay. I, I makes now, sense. this is this is against everything that crypto <laughs> that the crypto community wants to hear. But the only way you're going to go mainstream with with with, with fiat transactions or with the, the digital cash transactions is if governments are involved because no yeah. government is going to surrender its economy.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And at some and, point you still have that link between a fiat, fiat currency and the cryptocurrency. And if the government cuts that connection off, um, yeah.
1: Exactly. So if you want to trade with a legitimate business, you need to have a way of recording transactions. And the government needs to have oversight on those transactions for several reasons. And there are bad actors around who make it known every day that we can't just do free market. It can't be the wild, wild west, okay? The other, um, so that's one. So in terms of AML, KYC, regulatory process, sovereign um, control over economies, those are real issues that, unless you address them, um, you're never gonna get currency in terms of big uptake on digital platforms. So you can use it for buying a coffee, you can use it for you know, um, doing simple transactions, but when it comes to major transactions with listed companies, mm-hmm. you are going to have to record the method of payment and then that will have to be regulated somehow or the other. So that's going to be a challenge until we get mature enough to be able to deal with that.
0: But wouldn't that be, or isn't that by nature built into the blockchain that you have a ledger of, or a registry, or whatever you want to call it, of all transaction? It would be kind of pseudo transparent, anonymous, where or who would... Yeah, or how the transaction went. So wouldn't that be possible um, from the technology side? It is, right?
1: It is. And that's why I say I think it should be sponsored by the sovereign state. But the banks are the ones who will suffer because I don't need a bank account per se anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can just store my cash in a digital wallet, wallet and yeah. then I can do my transactions with any entity, et cetera. Some people like the comfort of having their cash stored in the bank because the bank then takes responsibility for the money. But this is a digital bank, basically. The wallet that you have is handled by the exchange. And the exchange can be controlled by the government. And it gives them an opportunity. They then have, as you said, because of the immutability and the and the accountability and transparency that comes with blockchain, mm-hmm. they can see the source of every transaction and they can see the endpoint for every transaction. So it gives, that's why I say it gives the government more power if they're the ones who control the index. That's true. Now, the only thing that cryptocurrency offers is anonymity or pseudonymity if, if required. Under a platform like that, the pseudonymity would go out the window, obviously because okay. they would want to know KYC. Exactly. I want to know that you are actually you. Yeah. And not, you are someone called, you know, brazen 68, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, KYC so, is
0: still one of the big problems, yeah.
1: Exactly. So that is one of the areas where I see a lot of space. But we, in the Caribbean, are not able to even do trading right now, yeah. um, so we can't trade on that. The other thing, look, we we've got stock exchanges in Jamaica, as you know. Right. Some days the stock exchange has a thousand trades worth hundred thousand um, dollars. <laughs> In Barbados, there are some days where there's no trading on the exchange. In Trinidad, there's, there are some days where there are four or five um, firms involved in trades for very small amounts of money. Collectively, in almost every country in the region, national savings are usually two X the GDP. Okay, two X the GDP. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is that government pensions have become a part of um, constructs that we have in the region as well. So we have a situation where savings Double GDP just sitting in banks and credit unions, etc. Pensions are partially funded by the government and managed by the government instead of private entities. And through, a f- I think, a few bad actors, there is a reluctance to invest in firms regional firms unless that is your um, that is the business in which you operate mm-hmm. so we have to teach um, citizens how to trade we have to teach citizens how to um, we have to teach citizens how to Um, manage income Mm -hmm. and do it in such a way that they are able to research firms, decide what risk appetite they have, and then make a risk play based on the knowledge that they've gained and their appetite for risk or we need to start a whole community of, of uh, investment firms who can educate consumers as to how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that we should start from secondary school.
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely with you here, because I think we well, on the one hand that it needs to be taught early on in school, because I think financial literacy, financial education um, is one of the most important things at the end of the day. Um, you go to school to get a job and to make money to earn money and to yeah therefore live um, or pay your bills from that um right. but i want to touch really quick on the fact that you mentioned that it's yeah basically impossible for someone that lives in the caribbean right now to um yeah get access to stock exchanges or foreign stock exchanges and um yeah invest money there buy companies there um etc and i think um, that that kind of becomes a big risk because you basically produce a closed system where you produce a big Ponzi scheme where everybody buys the shares from <laughs> uh, some everybody else and everybody thinks on paper, I'm rich, but you're just driving the, the price up. Um, is that my too narrow um, focus or too narrow or pessimistic point of view, um, because I think, um, as you said, it is super important that we open that, that everybody gets access to the international stock market, fiscal market, however you want to call it, um, to avoid that and to enable the people and the economy in the Caribbean as a whole to participate um, on the global economy.
1: I th- I, I, I'm in total agreement with, um... With, with, with what you're saying the rigor that the sec and firms like the sec bring to um how you make investments run companies okay um get re- regulatory process in place and they have a lot more experience obviously All right? um we have situations where um Financial services commissions are set up, but they're in their infancy. Fair trading commissions are set up, but they don't have the teeth to be able to take action to enforce um, what needs to be done on some firms. So I, I think exposure certainly and transactions with global exchanges, seeing how they operate. And then looking at risk and return, etc., it goes a long way in making people engaged, making citizens engage in what's going on so they have an understanding and they have to do the homework as to what's happening. It also, if you ask most people in the Caribbean, what is your pension payout going to be on a monthly basis? Um, what is your pension payout gonna be on a, monthly, on a monthly basis? When it goes active, usually they can't tell you.
0: And what is that worth right. in 10, 20 years after inflation,
1: et cetera, yeah. Exactly. So this is where the physical, the, the financial education has to start, where people take more responsibility for their financial positioning, financial needs, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And, um, and it may also do some interesting things. Um, it should also We should also look at other investments that are poor, like housing, how do we treat housing? And as you know, in the Caribbean, a vehicle is almost the same cost as a house. So <laughs> how do we look at vehicles, financing vehicles, which is basically a utility, yeah. right? Versus a house, which is an asset that actually grows in value once you do do the right things so those discussions and then how do we get interplay with technologies like blockchain where you can tokenize those assets making them easier to do the transactions and then having the legislation to support that happening
0: Yeah, I think we share a lot of viewpoints and, um, (laughs) we are both optimistic, (laughs) hopefully. So anything, um, else you want to talk about or where can people, um, find you if they want to know more about you, if they want to know more about what you're doing, want to know more about your company.
1: Okay. Well, let me talk a little bit about my company now, one ledger Mm -hmm. and, um, one of the things that we've done. Um, One ledger is a blockchain platform as a service. So essentially what we do is that um, using, I don't want to use complex terms, so I want to dumb down what we do. That's good for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we build applications that would work in your environment. So let's say you're in um, real estate. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we are doing is that we are looking at ways to simplify real estate processes and things like REITs, et cetera. Now, if if you have an asset, a house, et cetera, and you're trying to sell that house, you need a buyer you need a seller in most countries, you need an attorney, right? In in some countries they have a, um, they have a realtor who has some sort of legal um, training Mm -hmm. that can make the, that can make the transactions um, a lot easier. So you can buy a house in a day in Victoria, but it will take you, three months in Jamaica,
2: mm-hmm. or,
1: you know, six months in Barbados, whatever, you yeah, know, yeah. nine months in Trinidad, et cetera, as you go through the legal process. So what we've done is that we have looked at ways of taking that house, that property, digital asset, and creating what we call a um, an asset token. And that asset token is equal to the value of the property or that collectible tokens equal to the value of the property. It sits on the blockchain with all the unique characteristics that come with the blockchain. So if I'm gonna sell you my house and my asset is the title deed, I'm selling you the house and the title deed as as my serialized token. And I can sell that to you immediately online. All we need to do is to have a lawyer agree yes, you can sell it, yes, you can buy it, and it's done. Then the, the whole process just needs to be held in the registry of the country so that they show the change in ownership. But that could be done on the back end. The change of ownership would go through immediately because I have just sold you my token, which is representative of my title deeds, et cetera. Now, some interesting things that people have access to you is what they call fractionalization of those tokens. So a group of friends and I want to mm-hmm. buy this house. We can split this as many ways. So we take that token mm-hmm. and we can split that token into as many bits as you want. Mm-hmm. And everyone owns a unique piece of that token that has a value. So that's fractionalization of the so asset. It's like a
0: share in a company, basically.
1: Exactly. Right. And then you can also have that where we have bought the asset and we have an asset token, but then we want to be landlords. So we want a utility token where someone is able to pay us a thousand bucks a month to rent the space. Mm-hmm. And they use a utility token on the blockchain that helps us to do that as well. So things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, along with the one pass which is where we take vaccination certificates and we we, we we pull that information directly in from the clinic to
2: mm-hmm. verify
1: authenticity. Then we serialize it. Then we also do serialization of the, um, the actual vial, where the vaccine comes from, the batch number, the shipping number, the manufacturer, the date, the time, the clinician, et cetera. Mm -hmm. All that information is held on the hash. In addition to that, we also do tests. So every test that's carried out, we also hold in what we call a master patient index. Mm -hmm. And that master patient index is then queried by a verifier, wants to know, have you had a test? And what was the result? Then only that information is shared with the verifier. Are you vaccinated? Yes. Have you had both jobs or is it a single job vaccine? Only that is shared with the verifier. So we um, have a unique identifier for the individual, and then we have the verifier. And we are rolling out applications every day, like the letter of credit application that I told you about, where, particularly when it comes to fiscal transactions, we make it a lot easier. Now working at PwC mm-hmm. before, we had clients who were what we call perpetual audit. So the audit team actually had an office on site where they sat for 12 months and one audit rolled into the next. Exactly. So by yeah. the time they finished the external audit and did the reporting,
2: nice retainer. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So if the financial transactions for a firm were held on the blockchain and the external audit firm had access to those transactions, they could verify and see and audit every transaction remotely. Mm-hmm. Without having to be at the client site. And they would have access as a visitor to see the transactions. They wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. approve or mm-hmm. disapprove, but then they can query any transaction. And then auditors can do what they were really meant to do, advise their clients. Yeah rather than just tell them where they're going wrong after the fact or yeah, yeah, just yeah. asking for information.
2: So, so they're actually becoming
1: yeah. an arbiter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can give you guidance almost in real time. I can say, according to IRFs9, you cannot book this product as an asset mm-hmm. because blah, 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 All right, So almost in real time transactions can be done it raises the profile of the audit team. Mm -hmm. And usually we take um, students straight out of uni and stick them into the audit role as the ones who actually do, you know.
2: Right, the footwork.
1: (laughs) Physical work. Yeah. So um, that would help them to grow faster in their roles, even though there's still a lot to be learned from actually seeing how operations work. But on the digital, on the back end, they'll be able to see each transaction and understand how it fits into the whole much better.
0: So, when or where can people find you or your company if they want to dive deeper into that, or maybe even if they have a project where they need your advice or your company's help?
1: The website is oneledger.io.
0: And we put that, of course, in the show notes for everybody listening or watching right now.
1: OneLedger.io. And uh, once you go on, you'll see the segmentation of the business and how we run the business because the business is really divided into three elements. We have one element that handles our cryptocurrency. Uh, we sort of keep that sanitized from the rest and there are investors who invest in our crypto And we have a team that runs that. Then we have our enterprise applications. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I I spend a lot of my time. And then we have a development side where we build applications from scratch for clients or where we make customizations to our existing apps in order to do it. So we've got and we also allow external devs to build on our platform Mm -hmm. and there are a few universities who we're doing that with to sort of um, expand the use cases for blockchain Um, nfts as you know is now a big thing where you can have digital assets um, serialized and tracked etc and i think that's going to be a game changer for sports industry for music industry for cinema etc etc et so um a lot of these websites etc that can trade in free films and free music um their time of being able to make significant amounts of cash on the backs of the artists may be coming to an end
0: interesting times
1: (laughs) very interesting
0: yeah definitely so um first of all again thank you very much for taking um the time i think it was a very insightful and very interesting conversation i hope um, everybody listening can confirm that um anything else you want to mention you want to talk about anything that we missed during the conversation
1: Well, there are several other things that we could talk about, but I would like to say that cryptocurrency is not the enemy. Neither is blockchain the enemy. There are both tools that make a lot of applications that were not available to us 10 years ago, um, available today. Any application, even the Internet, which we now use after 20 years, everyone has an email address, mm-hmm. um, has an upside and a downside. What we need to do is to apply the social science to these technologies. We have to look at where they can add significant value and don't be afraid of the change. Embrace it. Um, we've been doing that quite well as a global community, and I think it's time to wrap it up. The only thing is I think blockchain and cryptocurrency sometimes are, in, are intimidating because they seem very uh, academic. Mm-hmm. So we have to sort of break it down so that it's not an academic construct. And the very last point I'd like to make is that one ledger has built its platform on a proof of um, stake, not okay? A proof of stake technology as different from Bitcoin or Ethereum who build their platform on a proof of work technology. Mm -hmm. Now, what's the difference between the two for a layman? Understand this. Every time that a transaction is created on the blockchain, that transaction is accompanied by a complex algorithm, an equation of sorts that you have to solve in order to validate the transaction. The mining. That process process is called either proof of work or proof of stake Mm -hmm. or proof of authority, depending on the platform that you have. Proof of stake, Um, is what we do and that's a consensus engine where it means that individuals or rather parties who are assigned by the company who have a vested interest in the transactions all right have a two-thirds majority in assigning that the transaction has been done so if we go back to the example that i said earlier about the letter of credit transaction Mm -hmm. where everyone involved, all the stakeholders can say, yes, this is accurate. Yes, we agree. Yes, it's done. Proof of work is a race to the finish line. And what we have is that we have quantum computers being set up, burning enough energy to um, fuel a city, Mm -hmm. doing transactions in order to earn income. And simply because of scale, capacity, and access to cheap energy, that is driven primarily by firms in China and the Middle East who are setting up um, hives where they push out um, a significant amount of transactions. Case in point, almost 50% of the Bitcoin transactions done Mm -hmm. are validated in China on their proof of work platforms Mm -hmm. where they've set up large companies that earn obscene funds, obscene amounts based on the work being done there. And because energy is cheap in China, it's easy for them. We can't do that in the Caribbean. So we had to move, or even in Canada, even though they've got a lot, or the US, the the oil prices don't match up. Mm -hmm. So we do proof of, proof of stake instead, which is a consensus platform and not the first computer to solve the algorithm. And that's why gaming systems, etc. are being bought in mass now because every gamer has realized that if they can contribute to the system, they can make some cash by being able to do this. So all the high-end systems are being bought up and Mm -hmm. energy is spiking at a time when it shouldn't be. And it's something that we're concerned about and we'd like to see a lot more platforms pivot to proof of stake rather than proof of work because um, it makes the whole process, I think, a lot more transparent. Mm -hmm. And remember, in a proof of work environment, 51% um, of the work being done can make changes to the hash. So if ever these entities that are set up are able to, um, to do more and more of the work, eventually they'll be able to control the platform. And that's not something that you want.
0: Thank you for listening to this conversation with George Connolly. I appreciate it and hope to see you next time.